Matthew 21, beginning to read at verse 28. What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? The first, they answered. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and went away on a journey. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. The tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Then he sent other servants to them, more than the first time, and the tenants treated them in the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, Oh, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? He will bring those wretches to a wretched end, they replied, and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures, The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvellous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. He who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but he on whom it falls will be crushed. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. They looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. This is the word of the Lord. As we sit, let's pray. Our Father God, we ask for your Holy Spirit to guide our thoughts and touch our hearts as we hear more about Jesus and his kingdom. Amen. The new year is often a time for new projects. Perhaps you have a personal project in mind. You're going to move house, you're going to change jobs, you're going to get married, you're going to learn a language, buy a dog, uh, visit Australia, or write a book. 
And there, the list is endless. There are all sorts of things which we could do. Or maybe we're concerned about some public project, more local and limited in scope, sustaining the work of a hospice or campaigning against a local development or fundraising for a development project or even building Southside. But for a few, the project will have a much wider scope, national or even international. And we might think about Nelson Mandela's lifetime project of dismantling apartheid and creating a multiracial South Africa. And my question this morning is a very simple one. What was Jesus' project? Now, certainly the worldwide church, as we see it today, is a consequence or an outcome. But I think it's a mistake to read that back into the New Testament with the presumption that Jesus' project was to found the kind of church institutions that we have today. Rather, it is his project that should inform and inspire us as Christians and should shape the institutions we build. Let's start with our reading, the first part, the parable of the two sons. Now, the context is Jesus is in the temple in Jerusalem. His three years of ministry and teaching are almost completed. He's coming to the point where he's going to be arrested tried and crucified at the instigation of the chief priests and elders. And it's a very simple story. The father asks his two sons to go and work in his vineyard. One responds brusquely, I will not, but later changes his mind and goes. The other respectfully says, I will, sir, but does not actually go. Jesus asks his listeners, which of the two did what his father wanted? To which, of course, there's only one sensible answer, the first son, who initially refused, but later changed his mind. Jesus then applies this story. There are two groups. The first group is the them and you of verse 31. And that refers back to verse 23, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him, or forward to verse 45, the chief priests and the Pharisees. So that's the one group. The second group, Jesus calls the tax collectors and prostitutes. And astonishingly, it is this second group who enter the kingdom of God. The first group do not. And Jesus is here indicating, I think in general terms, the response to his three-year project of ministry and teaching. So what, according to the gospel writers, was Jesus' great project? Well, he started, of course, with a very punchy title, the kingdom of God, or often in Matthew's gospel, because Matthew was writing to a Jewish audience and he respected their reticence about using the name of God, he would start write the kingdom of heaven. But it's the same thing. So in Matthew 4, 17, Jesus comes and he preaches, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. 
Now, let, me, let us remind ourselves, of course, that that word for kingdom means rule. It doesn't mean a geographical territory. It's God establishing his rule over his people. Now, what did that mean in the context of the first century AD in Judea and Galilee? Well, the Jewish people regarded themselves as the covenant people of God, living in the land that God had promised to their forefather Abraham. And their ideal was as follows. They would be living under the rule of a godly king from the ancient house of David. They would be true worship of God, uh, centered in the temple in Jerusalem. The people would be living in obedience to the Old Testament law, and the land and the people would experience God's peace, or shalom. The reality, of course, was very different. They were ruled directly or indirectly by the pagan Roman Empire. The temple had been built by a corrupt Herod the Great, and it was acting as the base for a thoroughly venal priestly family. The Old Testament law was widely disregarded, perhaps especially in Galilee, where Jesus began his ministry. And the land, far from experiencing peace and prosperity, was subject to crippling taxation. So why were Jesus' hearers told to repent? That's a repeated Old Testament message. It begins perhaps in Deuteronomy 30, and let me just read a couple of verses. When you and your children return to the Lord, your God, and obey him with all your heart and with all your soul, according to everything I command you today, then, your, then the Lord will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you and gather you again. The key point of the parable of the tenants, which we also read this morning, is simply that through a succession of prophets, God's people failed to listen to this message. They failed to repent in the sense of turning back to the Lord their God. So when Jesus preaches, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near, it plays directly to Jewish hopes and aspirations, but also to Jewish history. But it turns out to be not quite what they expected. So what is the content of Jesus' great project? And the first thing is it's a new community. The central characteristic of the rule of God is a covenant between the ruler and the ruled. God covenants to protect his people and rule over them with wisdom and justice. The people covenant to submit to him and to obey him. And Jesus here is offering a new covenant. With his people not defined by Jewish identity, but by obedience to him. And characterized by a renewed heart. Restating truths that were central to the Old Testament covenant. 
The second element was not only do we have a renewed community, a new covenant community, we have Jesus' people living out community values. Last term in the evening, we had a series on the Sermon on the Mount, and that reminded us of the principles of the Torah, the law that was formulated foundational to the covenant in Judaism. And they must be obeyed from the heart, not just in form. So it's not just refraining from adultery, it's also from lust. It's not just refraining from murder, but also from anger. And then thirdly, Jesus' great project is a call to be his co-workers. He calls the first disciples to leave their occupations. He calls the rich young ruler to abandon his wealth and follow him. He calls 12 to be his constant companions in his ministry in Galilee. He sends out 70 to announce the kingdom. And at the end of Matthew's gospel, after the resurrection, he gives the great command to go and make disciples of all nations. So to sum up, Jesus' great project is a people in covenant relationship with God, accepting Jesus as Lord, obedient from the heart to God's prescription for living in community, co-workers with Jesus in the life and witness of God's people. In short, it's what John Stott called God's new society. And that is what Jesus requires of us today. How it works out, what form it takes institutionally, depends on our social and cultural context. And even that is evident in the pages of the New Testament. You'll recall that Jesus' peripatetic band of followers gave way to a more settled but unstructured community in Jerusalem where roles and activities evolved in response to circumstances. And by the time of the Pauline epistles, there are relatively well-structured and well-established home churches. It's not surprising that church life takes many varied forms in our world today. The question is, how well do we reflect Jesus' great project in our church life? We may, like the Pharisees, be so wedded to our way of doing things, to our formal institutional structures, that we fail to rise to Jesus' challenge. We say, I will, sir, but we don't go. And I say this with some trepidation, because I like the traditions of the Church of England. In this respect, at least, I'm a conservative at heart, so I'm suspicious of new ways. But I think we all need to be open to change. I think there's a particular pitfall for our church in 2014. And that is that the Jubilee Project will become an end in itself. And I think there is an urgent need for thinking 
about how we will develop our church life. And here are two thoughts. The first is, I think there's a constant danger that we become consumers, not a family. Jesus calls us not to be a club, but to be his people. And that means creating activities and opportunities that enable us to meet as a family, ensuring that older members get to know families and teenagers and vice versa, sharing love and support across the generations rather than segmenting our community by age and household characteristics. We need to encourage one another to live as a family in obedience to Jesus. Second, I think we need to think how we will use the building to serve the neighborhood in which we are situated. Not least, how we can present the good news of Jesus' kingdom in ways that non-Christians will be able to understand because we begin where they are. And I think that probably means that we need to give much more attention to pre-evangelism or apologetics before people can be brought in to an alpha course. But prior to all of that, there is a question for each one of us as we begin 2014. Are we ready to be co-workers with Jesus in the life of his covenant people here? Is our response to his call, I will, sir, but with absolutely no intention of going? Or can we overcome our reluctance, our inner disposition to say, I will not, and commit ourselves fully to Jesus' great project here? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we pray that you will help us to heed your call to be your people in this place and that we will not be reluctant to give ourselves in service to you and to your people. Amen.